So good to be together again, Chi Alpha. This past weekend, God moved in some really powerful ways, right? Let's give God a round of applause for what he did this past weekend at Spring Retreat. I'm so thankful for those of you that came this past weekend. No one's asked me for a refund yet, so that's always a good start. I'm pretty glad. I'm still waiting for Victor to have to sing someone a song, as I promised him last week, so that'll be good. If God did do something in your life this past weekend at Spring Retreat, I challenge you to tell someone about it. Share about it in small group. Don't just let it stay in the weekend, but share with people. If you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a big thing we talked about this past weekend, some thoughts may have ran through your head in the past few days. Maybe you're doubting what happened. Maybe you're thinking that you faked that experience. Those are all lies from the enemy. He's trying to get into your head. But God is a good God. So God, is, as a good God, does not give bad gifts. He does not give fake gifts. He gives good gifts. The Bible says if our earthly fathers are capable of giving us good gifts, how much greater are the gifts our heavenly father is able to give us? So if you receive this gift this weekend, know that you're not faking it. God's not trying to trick you into being closer to him, because that doesn't make any logical sense, right? Just keep pursuing Jesus. Keep practicing your new prayer language and talking through your thoughts with your small group leader. If you weren't with us, or if this is maybe your first time with us, you might be confused what happened last weekend. It sounds like a party. It was a party. We had our spring retreat where we came together, we pursued Jesus, worshiped God all weekend, had a blast. We did like a lip sync battle and one of the groups just night and day blew everyone else out of the water. They did a very good job. Let's give them a round of applause if you were there and saw that. My main man, Joel, I did the stanky leg up here, and I just, it, was, it was wonderful. If you want a video, I believe Sam Childers, who's in a small group, has a video of that. So if you would like to make copies and text that to everyone, that would be great. <laughs> Sorry, Joel. I pray that we're a community of people that passionately seeks Jesus every week, not just at these big retreats, Right? It's so easy to have these hyped up moments where the music sounds great. We had that guy singer who sounds like Chris Brown. He's amazing. The world's fallen. We're feeling great. And then Monday morning comes and we're sleepy. And we start to think things. Oh, what actually happened? Uh, I have to go back to my mundane life now. Go through the motions. But following Jesus is not about hyped up moments. Following Jesus is about daily devotion to him where you get to pursue him every day. For example, Taylor and I got married. That's my wife. I'm going to talk a lot about that tonight. Being engaged was not that fun, but like our honeymoon's fun, right? Honeymoons are enjoyable. Being married is not about a honeymoon. It's about your day-to-day life with someone. That's when the relationship grows, and that's when your relationship with God is going to grow, not in a one-weekend experience, but use that one-weekend experience to fuel you forward and to continue growing in real devotion, real community, and real responsibility as you try to get closer to King Jesus. Amen? For those of you that are joining us for the first time, I'm really thankful that you're here. I think God wants to speak something to you tonight. It's an interesting night to be here for the first time as we talk about marriage, but I don't think that means God's not going to tell you something, right? If you learn anything tonight, my goal is that you learn that there's a God and he loves you very, very much. He loves you far more than you could ever imagine. If it is your first time, don't forget to get a free t-shirt after service. You can get a free Bible and I'd love to meet you. All right, my wife Taylor and I got married five years ago this July. She's getting old. (laughs) Uh, Our wedding day was really special. It really felt like a fairy tale wedding that I had dreamed of. Yes, I dreamt about my wedding as a child. I was a weird 12-year-old boy, okay? Some guys are out playing football, and I'm sitting there thinking about my, my Cinderella coming on her carriage, okay? I was a weird guy. Leave me alone. 
The weather was perfect. Taylor looked beautiful. All my family and friends were together. If you want to show this picture, I cried a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What a handsome man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. I'm glad this circle up here is crying. You guys zip your lips. My older brother did our wedding. (laughs) Kind of looks like he's farting, so that's kind of funny. But anyways, (laughs) we should probably take that off. (laughs) Uh, All right. Mm. Okay, wasn't that funny? <laughs> okay, you guys are on a mood. So after that wedding, we had a reception. We danced a lot. I drank some Shirley Temples at my wedding, and I had what felt like a magical evening. We even ended our reception. This is so corny looking back. But we played Don't Stop Believing." We're all in a circle, like, like shimmying back and forth, like, yeah, this is wonderful. Like, I felt the presence of God through Don't Stop Believing. I'll be honest, my friends even picked me up on their shoulders, and like, like we're jumping around, and I was like, yeah, I'm king of the world, but also my friends are smaller, so I'm like, I feel like I'm going to squish them, so that was a little scary, but it was, it was pretty awesome. And then Taylor and I did our grand exit. You know, this is a big deal. You got to exit well. So they got like sparklers that we walked under and felt like Romeo and Juliet walking under them. We go get into my car. We look at each other and we both say, well, now what? We had our perfect wedding day. We were married. Everything that I had been praying for, dreaming about was finally here. She was my wife. I had gotten my Cinderella. My love story had its ending. All the stress of wedding planning, trying to stay pure before our marriage, all these things were gone and we were left with just each other. That moment's very clear in my memory because that's when it became real. I had to be a husband and I had no clue what that meant. I still don't. But at that moment, the real work started. Maybe you're here. And you're almost going to be a spouse. You're one of the engaged couples we have, and you're preparing for your big day. Most of your days right now are filled with thinking about your marriage, your wedding ceremony, your future spouse, making sure that everything is perfect because if the napkin doesn't have the right fold, then our marriage will fall apart. You're getting ready, or maybe you're already in premarital counseling, trying to learn how to be a good spouse. Side note, my older brother was my pastor. He did my premarital counseling, and that was extraordinarily uncomfortable for me. So if you're sad about your premarriage counseling, it's not worse than mine was, okay? Your older brother, what's your goal for a sex life? Oh, thank you, Brother Daniel. <laughs> this is going to be fun. You're learning how to be a real adult. You're getting ready to end your days as a bachelor who gets to stay up until 4 a.m. playing video games in your underwear with a bunch of dudes. Or maybe you're getting ready to end your days as a bachelorette who gets to have a toilet seat that remains down and pee-free. And you get to live a life without the stench of man. Welcome to the party. (laughs) Or maybe you're here and you're not getting ready to be married, but you want to be married. You're single right now. But you desperately want that Prince Charming or Cinderella to come in here. But they haven't come yet. You want to prepare, though, for for when this day does come. 
Even though marriage may be far off, these principles I want to talk about tonight can help you in the future. Again, you're setting the foundation right now for your future family, your future marriage. You're setting those blocks right now. I know it can be easy to tune out of a marriage sermon if you're single, but all you're doing is robbing your future self of some wisdom, right? You're here anyway, so might as well pay attention. Take advantage of this opportunity now and you'll thank yourself later. Or maybe marriage is the last thing on your mind. You're like, you're a freshman and you spend all night playing Call of Duty and you're like, I'm not going to get married for like 30 or ever years. That's okay. Don't rush it. Enjoy your season. But I think God can still speak to you on what it looks like to have a healthy marriage, especially even if you don't want to get married, marriage is the imagery that Jesus uses most to relate himself to the church. When Jesus talks about his relationship with us, the number one imagery he gives us is him as the husband and us as his bride. So we can look at having a healthy relationship with a spouse in a similar way to we have a healthy relationship with Jesus. A little different. But a lot of the principles equate. Tonight we're finishing our love story. We started with our once upon a time, but our foundation is waiting well. How in every season of life, God calls us to trust in him and to wait. Then we got to the rising action of our love stories. We talked about dating, how we have to be intentional in our dating relationships if we want to see success. When dating, we have to date with the end in mind, and the relationship should be either drawing us closer to or farther away from marriage. And last week, we got to the climax of our love story as we talked about sex. We discussed how we must trust the creator of sex over the creation that is sex. We need to not ask ourselves, how close to sin can I get? Where's the line? What can I all do and still technically be okay? But instead, we need to be asking ourselves, how close to King Jesus can I run? If you remember right, I showed you a picture, an imagery of a cliff over here and the other end over there. And over this cliff is our sexual sin, our lust, and how when we start thinking about people with sexual intent, we start sinning. And that's one end, but then what we need to do is look to the other end and we'll see King Jesus waiting for us to run to him. And how we need to run to this side if we want to experience fruit and health in our sexual lives. And tonight we have finally arrived or happily ever after. The end of our love stories, we talk about marriage. Tonight we're going to dive into the very first marriage ever all the way in Genesis chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the very beginning of it. This is the very beginning of the world. We have the story of creation, the story of the first ever married couple, Adam and Eve. We talk about God creating the heavens, the earth, the sea, creating the universe. And after he does that, he creates man, and then eventually he creates woman. This is in Genesis chapter one. We're gonna be reading verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I want to stop. That just said we were created in the image of God. What theologians or people who study the Bible will call the Imago Dei. You are created in the image of the almighty creator of the universe. You have value and you have worth because you are created in the image of God. That truth should rock us, that God has made us to be like him, that God has created us with worth and weight and value. You are created on purpose to be a son or a daughter of King Jesus. We're already starting strong. Let's keep going, though. And then, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we love you so much, God. Speak through this message tonight. Speak to us, God. I pray for every person in this room who gets married to have a healthy marriage, God. I pray for no broken marriages in this house. God, no one in here is gonna leave their child without a mother or father because they leave their spouse, Jesus. 
I pray for this. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. If we get one thing tonight, it is this, to find our happily ever after. Our marriages must be built upon recreation. That word is recreation. To find our happily ever after, our marriages must be built upon recreation. So what is recreation? Sounds like a made-up word. Well, it kind of is. So at the beginning, we talked about we were creating the image of God. But then we sinned. We screwed up. We made mistakes. And we did things that should separate us from God. However, because of the sacrifice of King Jesus, God gives us an opportunity to be reborn. Right? God does not leave us in our sin. God does not leave us in our fallen state. But no, he came and he paid the ultimate price. He said, I'm going to send my son to die for your penalty, to die for your sin, to die for your mistakes. And when he does that, he says, I want to make you a new creation. See, God doesn't just save us and leave us that way. No, God saves us. Says, I want to make you better. I want to make you whole. I want to make you new. I want to recreate you. We're made clean in the eyes of God, not because of something we've earned. We don't earn this recreation, but God gives it to us as a free gift. So when we're spiritually reborn or when you say, Jesus, be my savior, you are a new creation. And in this new creation, we strive to be like King Jesus. We strive to obey him because we want to trust him. We know that God knows best. And in this, we go through this process that's called sanctification. Can you all say sanctification? Ooh, we're learning words tonight. Come on, somebody. Sanctification just means we're trying to look more like Jesus. That's all it means. We're trying to look more like Jesus. Trying to cut out sin in our lives and start doing the things that God has called us to do. Again, sanctification is just being who God created us to be, which is an image bearer of him. Another way of saying sanctification, or being more like Jesus, is recreation. Being recreated to be more like God. Being created again, and this time we look more like Jesus. For our marriages to get to our happily ever after, they have to push us to be more like Jesus. The purposes of our marriage cannot be our marriage. Hear me, the purpose of marriage is not your marriage, but it must be sanctification or being like Jesus. Otherwise, they'll crumble. The last three weeks, we've talked about John Mark Comer's book, Loveology, and we'll be doing so again tonight. In his book, he gives us a blueprint for how we make this happen. He gives us four purposes of marriage, and we're going to dive into all four tonight. The first purpose of marriage is friendship. Friendship. In Genesis chapter 2, God says it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates woman. When Adam was created, he had God, right? But God looked at that and said, that's not good enough. You need someone else to do life with. You need a partner. You need a friend. So if you go back to the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it says we created an our image. It doesn't say my image. This is God speaking. He says our image. So why do you say our image? Why does God, what would seem like a singular thing, say our image? Because God is actually three in one. This gets a little confusing. Hang with me. So there's this thing called the Trinity, right? So there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are three equal beings in one that are constantly together, constantly in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three in one in community, having fellowship with each other. So God's not alone. So he says when he looks at man, when he looks at us, he says you shouldn't be alone either because we're in his image. So that is the basis of the creation of Eve. Marriage was created so that you could walk through life with your closest friend. In the Greek language, there are actually four words for our one word love. 
So we use the same term when I say that I love raising canes, which I do. When I say I love Chi Alpha, or I love Jesus, or I love Taylor, or I love LeBron James, that's all the same love. I do not feel the same about those things, okay? I love God more than LeBron. Canes and Taylor's close. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, honey. I love you. But I do like that Texas toast. So this is why the Greek language uses four different words to describe the different types of love, because it recognizes that one word just doesn't suffice. So the first word of what's going to be friendship love is called phileo love. Phileo love. That just means friendship love. C.S. Lewis, who's an old dead guy, he's one of our friends here in Chi Alpha, he has a book entitled Four Loves. And in that book, he talks about all these different types of love. And something that Lewis says in his book about phileo love is that phileo love is the love of people with common interests, side by side, pursuing the same goals. Some of the other loves we cannot survive without. So for example, we're going to get there in a little bit, but one of the loves is sexual love. And practically, if there's no sexual love, we can't keep going because people stop making babies. Okay? Humanity ceases to exist when the baby making ceases to exist. But friendship love is technically not needed. We do not need friends to survive, but it's so valuable. Friendship love is just a deep appreciation for each other. It's when we value what other people value, when we look around at our friends and see people that you could talk to for hours. We need to be friends with our spouses to have enjoyable marriages. It doesn't help with survival. Technically, you can have a good marriage without being friends. But friendship love brings us joy and makes the journey so much better. Friendship is what makes marriages fun. Taylor is my very best friend in the world. There's no one that brings me more joy to be around. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm an introvert meaning I like to be by myself. So when I'm around people for a certain amount of time, people can start to drain me, just being honest. There comes a point in time when I need a break from certain people, though I love them very, very much. But I don't ever need a break from Taylor because she's my best friend. We can have deep, meaningful conversations about Chi Alpha, about Jesus, the Bible, or we can spend hours talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, doing weird tournament brackets of our favorite office characters, and we always end up with Kevin as the champion. And we just tell the same three jokes over and over again. And that's not a joke. We, it's three jokes is all we have. And they're not that funny. Side note, this is very similar to my relationship with Pastor John. Like, <laughs> the only difference is after we do the office brackets, we don't usually kiss. <laughs> so... So my friendship with John and Taylor is very similar. They're similar people. I love them both dearly. Hmm. My favorite thing about Taylor and I's relationship is that friendship. Yes, sex is fun. Ooh, now you all get awkward. It's like, okay, my bee. That was last week. You can't talk about that ever again. Anyways, sex is fun. But getting to spend every day with your favorite person in the world just makes life a little bit easier. I might be biased, but I think Taylor and I have a relatively healthy marriage. We got married super young. So most people when we got married are like, oh, they're about to screw this up. And I don't think we have so far. So hallelujah. Everyone thought we'd have a lot of conflict and struggle and problems. But I'm just looking back, we didn't. We don't have a whole lot of conflict. People say your first year of marriage supposed to be really hard. Ours just wasn't. And I've really thought about this. It doesn't make us any more holy than anyone else. But I've just been curious of why it works. And I think there's two reasons. First of all, because the foundation of our marriage is King Jesus. That makes things a lot easier when you choose Jesus, right? That's a given. 
Second, though, I think it helps that we like each other. If you're here tonight and you're dating or engaged, spend some time focusing on your friendship with your significant other. See if you guys connect well. If you have nothing in common and don't enjoy being around each other, they might not be the one. Spend time doing things that are fun together. See if friendship can be the foundation of your marriage. Spend time doing things that friends do, okay? Most friends don't do this. They don't sit across at Panera, stare into each other's big brown eyes, and think, wow, you're so hot. That's not what most friends do, right? That would get uncomfortable. Go do things together. Do fun things together. Do homework together. Laugh together. Focus on friendship. Don't just focus on how sexy you think they are. Come on. If you're single and ready to mingle, make some friends with the opposite gender. (laughs) All right. Before you jump into a relationship with someone, find out if they could be your best friend. You don't have to know that right away, but start figuring out if you have similar interests. Find people with some common interests and get to know each other. If you want a healthy marriage, friendship must be in the relationship. After all, the sex will lose its luster. They will get ugly. But if you bond over stupid jokes, those babies are going to last a lifetime. Amen? Amen. The second purpose of marriage is gardening. You're like, what? What's gardening? In Genesis chapter 1, God told Adam that he had dominion over the entire earth and he was to take care of it and rule over it. This means he's saying, Adam, you're going to partner with me, God. You're going to partner with me to make the world a better place. You're going to do something with your life. You're going to work the garden. We are created to garden. Just means to do something. This is another one of the reasons that God created a wife for Adam, so he'd have a partner in his gardening project. We were created to have a purpose. We were created to get off our rears and get something done. We were created to find a calling and then find someone who can partner with us in this calling. Sometimes in America, I think we think, if I just find my spouse, if I just have kids, if I just get my other half, I will be complete. That's all I need as a spouse. I just need my family. If I can just go to those baseball tournaments on the weekend with my kids, mm-hmm, I'll be happy. I'll find my purpose through them. And that's how we create weird kids when we live vicariously through them. Some of you are like, that's me. <laughs> I suck at baseball, but I wish my dad wished I didn't. Anyways, <laughs> side note. <laughs> God created us to be more than just a spouse. John Mark Comer in his book says this, couples who exist simply for one another are doomed to failure. If the point of your marriage is your marriage, it will collapse in on itself. Ooh, that's convicting for some of you engaged couples. Marriage is a means to an end. It's about something bigger than itself. This means a few things. Marriage will not be enough to satisfy Marriage is fun, but you can only go on so many trips together. You can only have so many date nights. You can only watch so much Netflix, have so much sex, until you're thinking, wow, I'm kind of bored now. So before you get married, maybe start thinking, what's my gardening project? What's my calling? You don't have to have everything figured out, right? I was pretty young when I got married, but I had a general idea of where I was going. Have some sense of your calling or your trajectory on your life before you get married. This just makes it easier to see if this potential spouse fits. This also means if you're in a relationship here, God is calling you to do more than just be a good boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. 
This is why we stress that you shouldn't spend all of your time with your significant other because God has called you for more than that. God has called you to make disciples. God has called you to share his love with other people, to be on mission on our campus. Which brings us to our second Greek word for love, agape, which is godly love. Agape, which is godly love. We have to go to the book of 1 John to understand this. So in 1 John 4, 9 through 12, it says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When we read the English word love right there, it's the Greek word agape, which just means godly love. It means laying down your life for someone else. It's an action. Love is a verb. We are actively loving people. So practically in a marriage, just means that you're supposed to love your spouse enough to push them to be more than just your spouse. Push them to garden. Push them to live on mission. God is calling you and your future spouse to lay down your lives for other people. To love people enough to share the love of Jesus with them. To love others enough to sacrifice a night with your partner so you can build community with other people and show them the love of God. If you spend every night with your spouse watching Netflix when you get older, you're wasting your time. Agape love is laying down your life for other people. And in a marriage, you must be willing to do this for each other and for the people around you. I'm going to brag up my wife, Taylor, if that's all right. Is that okay? Can I do that? Yeah, all right. I'm convinced that I have the best spouse on the planet. I know I'm bragging, that's right. And sometimes I just want to talk about it. So Taylor is a fifth grade teacher. So she works 40 plus hours a week doing that, dealing with smelly, angry, prepubescent, weird, saying children. They do some weird stuff. They like bite each other. They like stab each other. They like fight each other. And then they like throw Chromebooks at each other. It's really freaking weird. And it makes her smell really bad afterwards. Anyways, that's besides the point. After school, Taylor spends two nights of her week mentoring some of our female small group leaders. So for those of you that are in a small group, your small group leader has a leader. For some of you, that's Taylor. This means she meets with them. She pours agape love on them. She challenges them. She helps them become a better leader. And she just spends time with them. This is her actively laying down her free time, her relaxing time, her resting time to be with her leaders that she mentors. Most people when they get off work don't want to go hang out with a bunch of college students but my wife does. And she loves this, by the way, so she would never call this a sacrifice. She'd probably be mad that I'm using this as an example. I didn't ask. But I think it's pretty cool that she does it. This is her actively helping in our marriage's guarding project. See, God has called us as a married couple to lead this ministry. That's our calling. We feel like this is what God has created us to do, is to lead Kyle for you and I. Especially for me, God has called me to be the pastor, Right? But Taylor is an active participant in that. Just because she's not the pastor doesn't mean she doesn't have a part to play in what God has called our marriage to do. She plays a very active part in our calling, doing something besides being married. This isn't it, though. She doesn't just show agape love through our guarding project of Chi Alpha. She also shows agape love in our marriage. She lays down her life for me all the time. I'll be honest. I stink at chores. I can't cook anything. I try and I burn it. it tastes bad. I'm learning how to get toast right, though. Put a little peanut butter on it, a little banana. It's a game changer. So I like try to hang up laundry, but evidently you can do that incorrectly. I didn't know that. I put it on there and she's like, first she started correcting me, then she just started fixing it. So that ticked me off even more. And I said, fine, I'm just not doing it then. But evidently you can put it on wrong. So Taylor does the majority of the gardening for our house. 
on top of what she does for other people. There are these things that are called love languages. Maybe you've heard of them. It's just kind of like how you best feel loved. There's a lot of different options. And I feel best loved through what is called acts of service. Some people like do things for me or help me. And Taylor knows this, and she knows that I feel loved when she does little things like our laundry, so she'll help them. She'll do that. She'll handle a lot of the housework while I handle our budget because her love language is going out to eat. And so if I make it so we have enough money to go out to eat on Friday night, then I'm doing my job as a husband. Texas Roadhouse, come on. She'll do these things while I do that or write sermons or hang out with students, do things to help me with my calling, and she never complains about any of this. That is agape love, laying down your life for other people. And we can show agape love to our spouses through partnering together and gardening projects together. It means find your calling and live it out with someone. So if you feel called to teach students in the classroom, that's awesome. Find a spouse who's calling, it helps. For example, if you feel called to teach in Cedar Falls, do not marry someone who feels called to go to Africa and like build hospitals for orphans, right? Those don't work together. You're gonna get married, you're gonna get ready to move and it's gonna get real uncomfy, so find someone who your calling aligns with. If you feel called to ministry, to be a pastor, find a spouse that feels called in some way as well. This does not mean that you have to marry a full-time vocational minister of the gospel. That's not what it says. But if they're an atheist, you're probably going to have some problems. Or let's say you feel called to Chi Alpha. You want to come work with me? Come on, somebody. That's all of you in here. Amen. If you marry someone who absolutely hates college students, that'll be awkward. Lay down your life for other people. Sacrifice time together for other people. Hear me. When you get married, when you're in relationships, have date nights. Prioritize your marriage. It's important. But if you have zero kids, you probably do not need six nights at home to focus on your marriage. You can spend time with other people, building real community, making disciples. Netflix is always going to be there, but the opportunities that you have right now will not. Show agape love to each other by laying down your lives for your spouse. Love them in the ways that they get loved best. And if you're not married, you're not off the hook. You can do this too. Lay down your life for your roommate or for your classmates. Here's one. Maybe you should sacrifice your fear of rejection for someone's future and tell them about Jesus. Do something with your life right now. Even if you're single, you still need a gardening project. Don't just lay around watching TikTok all day. Do something productive with your time. I just learned how to use Instagram. It's fun. <laughs> Don't marry someone without a gardening project. If your potential spouse is lazy, has no goals, no dreams, and no desire to accomplish anything, they're not going to make for a very good spouse. Ladies, too many men do not have a gardening project. Video games, YouTube, those are not gardening projects. Do not marry a man who spends eight hours a day entertaining themselves. Ooh, dang right, ooh. That's all video games is. It's entertaining yourself. That is not no gardening project. No fruits being bored from that, baby. Do not marry a man without a gardening project. Comer says this, if he isn't doing anything with his life that matters for God's kingdom, how will you partner with him? If he isn't going anywhere, how will you follow him? If his life is just about the day-to-day -day kind of pleasures, how will you entrust your future and your calling to him? Men, don't marry a woman who doesn't want to partner with you to make a difference. Marry a woman who wants to change the world because women are world changers, so go find one and marry them. 
Comer says no matter how smart or sexy or funny or interesting she is, if she doesn't want to help you in kingdom work, how will your marriage be about more than just your marriage? If she doesn't believe in you, how will you ever trust her? If she doesn't want to follow God's calling on your marriage, how will you dream, try, fail, and succeed with her? How will you leave the, better, the world a better place than you found it? If our marriages are not built on a purpose, they will get nothing done. Our marriages must have a purpose, so do not marry a spouse without one. And the third purpose of marriage is sexuality. We talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not about to hammer this home again. Hallelujah, free at last. Here's what you need to know. In marriage, sex is good. Do it a lot. Comer says that sex is the glue that holds marriages together, and I would agree. Last week, we spent our time talking about good, pure sexual boundaries before marriage, what not to do sexually. So let's get to the fun part today. In marriage, as long as you're both comfortable with it, you can do whatever the heck you want sexually. Have at it. Cheers. Cheers. The Greek word for this type of love is eros, love. Eros, sexual love. It's the butterflies you get when that person sits the 10 chairs away from you at Chi Alpha. When I used to share that joke, it would be like the one next to him, but that's not possible anymore. So anyways, it's when you start falling in love, when you get obsessed with that special someone. See, eros includes sexual desires, but it's more than that. Sexual desire, or what C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, calls Venus, that's just wanting sex. You're not obsessed with a specific person. You don't want that person. You just want the feeling that sex brings. So eros is not that. It's not just desiring sex, but it's desiring the beloved person. It's wanting that person, not the pleasure they provide. This means that hooking up, tender, things like that are not going to fulfill the void of eros love in your life. It's not good enough. Hooking up is not about love to and fro from a special person, but it's just a thrill of sexual pleasure. The other person does not want and desire you, they just want the pleasure that you're providing. However, eros in the purest sense, this sexual love is an amazing thing. Finding the one person that you're supposed to be with and having sex inside that covenant of marriage is incredible. Romance between two lovers is amazing, and this should come into its truest form on a husband and wife's wedding night. All right, enough of that. Final purpose of marriage is family. God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. What an amazing command. Come on, we're making babies. Not right now, you're not. But when you get married, I'm ready to be Uncle Derek to some Chi Alpha kids. I know being a parent's really far off for a lot of you. But naturally, a marriage does turn into a family. When looking at potential spouses or partners, I want you to ask yourself, do I want this person to be my child's father or mother? Do I want my kids to be like them? When you're dating, hooking up, preparing to marry someone, keep in mind that this person could be your child's future parent. That can be a scary thought. If this does scare you, you're probably with the wrong person. Care enough about your future children to choose a good parent for them. If you grew up with an absent mean, scary, abusive parent, you know how painful that is. Don't make your kids go through the same thing because you hooked up with someone because you thought they're hot. Right now, you are setting the foundation for your family's future. What's this future going to look like? Will you be a family that goes to church just on Christmas and Easter, that has a nominal relationship with Jesus, that prioritizes baseball tournaments over church, a family that never touches the Bible, that chooses pleasure over, over fulfillment, or will you be a family that does damage to the enemy and work for the kingdom of God? What will your family be? You are setting that foundation right now. If you want to be a family that reads the Bible, read the Bible right now. You don't have to wait till your dad or mom to do that. You set the foundation now for your future by running after God in all things. 
and also by choosing a partner that puts Jesus first. Please don't give your kid a crappy dad or mom because you thought they were cute. Also don't give your parent or your kids a bad parent because you've been with that person for seven years and you feel like you have to stay with them. If they don't read their Bibles now, they won't then. If they're lazy now, they'll be lazy then. If they don't love you well now and if they treat you poorly, they're going to do the same thing to your kids. This leads us to our fourth kind of love, storge or affection, family love. This is the love you have for your family, for your cousins that you see once in a while, for your dog. It's love that takes some time to develop, but once it does, you look past flaws, imperfections because they're family. This love is good in a lot of ways, right? I have a dog, and for some reason I love him, even though I will open the door to our backyard and sit there and stare at him for like 10 minutes and he won't come in. He just looks at me, and I feel like he's laughing at me, and I try to get him to come in. I ring the doorbell. I run around. He doesn't come in. He bites. He's nuts. And for some reason, I love him. I let him do it all over again because I've got this storge affectionate love for him. So it's good in a lot of ways. But sometimes in a relationship before marriage, it can be very deadly because you develop this love when you've been with someone for a while, right? So you keep going back to them even though they're abusive, even though they're not good for you and you know that. You've got this affection for them, so you keep going back. So we let this familiarity lead to marriage which leads to unhealthy marriages because it wasn't built on godly agape love. is built on storge affection love just because they've always been there. Just because they've always been there doesn't mean they should have always been there, right? Don't punish yourself for making bad decisions five years ago. Just fix it now. Don't give your kids a bad spouse or a bad parent because you have affection for them. The band wants to come forward. All of this leads to our fifth purpose of marriage, recreation. Kind of tricked you. I told you there's only four purposes of marriage, but there's actually five. This is that recreation we talked about in the beginning. The purpose of your future marriage and really all of your relationships in life are so you can look more like Jesus. We have to remember that to find our happily ever after, our marriages must be built upon recreation. To find our happily ever after, our marriages must be built upon recreation. In your marriages, or really any relationship, you should be pushing each other and challenging each other to look more like Jesus. This is why finding a good running mate is important. I want you guys to imagine something with me, okay? Imagine you're running a race, and in this race, you get a partner. And in order to win this race, Whichever one of you runs faster doesn't matter. It's whoever's the last of you two. That's the one that matters. That's the time that counts. So in order to win, it's not just about you finishing first. It's about you and your partner finishing first. So no matter how fast you are, if you have a very slow partner, you won't win. They'll drag you down. They'll hold you back. You'll be dragging them along the whole time. You'll keep running back. Come on, buddy. Let's go. Let's go. Let's hurry up. This is how marriage is if your spouses aren't running after Jesus. They'll constantly hold you back. They'll slow you down and they'll get in the way of what God wants to do through you. Too many churches in the world today are filled with women without their husbands because their husband wanted to stay home and watch football. Please don't let this be your story. It's not too late. Too often we think that 
you know, yeah, there's problems now, but marriage is going to fix our problems. Or we think, I can fix my partner's problems. I got this. I can bring them closer to Jesus. John Mark Comer says this, and one broken person plus another broken person does not equal bliss. The math adds up in the opposite direction, twice as much brokenness. Getting married will not fix people. It'll just deeply expose who you really are. My prayer for all of you is that you will never marry a project. My favorite thing about Taylor is that when I walk out of my room in the morning, she is reading her Bible every single day. I love how we challenge each other to be more like Jesus. This is what recreation is all about. It's two people who love each other, who choose each other. Marriage is a choice, right? Once you're married, you're in. You're stuck, and you're going to choose each other. So it is about choosing each other, but marriage is also about pushing each other to be more like Jesus. This is marriage. Marriage is not about you finding your missing piece. All you need is Jesus. You do not have a spouse-sized hole in your heart waiting for Prince Charming and Cinderella to come fill. No, you have a God-sized hole that only he can fill. And when we try to fit our spouse into that God-sized hole, it's just empty, unfulfilling. We put too much pressure on them because they're not God. Of course they can't fill it. Comer says this, the point of marriage isn't to find our missing half. It's to help each other become all that God has intended. If you're here and you're about to get married, make sure your spouse will help you be more like Jesus. If you're honest with yourself and you think you're going to be spending your life dragging them alongside as you pursue Jesus, please don't marry them. That just sounds exhausting. It's going to hold you back from all that God wants you to be. Or when you're pursuing a spouse, pursuing a significant other, find someone that can be your friend. You don't have to be friends to have a successful marriage. You can choose each other. You can be faithful and fulfill your calling without deep friendship. That just doesn't sound like very much fun, though. Find a spouse that you can garden with. Marriage is about you pursuing the calling over your life with a partner to help you. Show agape love to each other. Lay down your lives for each other and for the world. Make disciples. Serve other people. Pursue your calling right now. Even if you're not married, pursue your calling right now. Do something with your life right now. And if God adds a spouse, great. If not, that's okay too. Too many of us think that I'll start pursuing Jesus when I get married, when I'm a parent, when I have to be a real adult. No, you are a real adult right now. You answer for your actions right now. You don't wait until you have a kid, okay? It's not time to grow up when you get married. It's time to grow up right now and start spending time with Jesus. We have to have gardening projects right now. Spouses will not fulfill you, will not give you purpose. Only Jesus can do that. Don't awaken sexual or eros love until you get married. We talked about that a lot last week, but pursue holiness in your sexuality. I promise you it's worth it. Think about your future family when you're choosing a spouse. Recognize that you're marrying your future children's parent and that you want your family to be built around the foundation of running after King Jesus. Finally, pursue Jesus in all that you do. The purpose of marriage is not your marriage, but becoming more like Jesus. So stand with me. We have an opportunity. Most of you will get married someday. 65 to 70% I learned today. We can choose to build these marriages on a healthy foundation or we can build them on things that crumble. And you are doing this right now. We can choose to choose our spouse no matter what they do and to love them even when it's hard. We can choose to show phileo, agape, eros, and storge love to them. 
We don't have to wait until we're married, though. We can choose to start this process of recreation now while we're single. We can spend time trying to be more like Jesus. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life for us, to show us the ultimate agape love. We should spend time trying to be like Jesus because he did this. Jesus died on a cross for your sin. If you're here and you feel empty and broken, you feel shameful, God covered our sins. God covered our mistakes. God covered the dark, deep spots of our heart and said, I will make you white as snow. Are we willing to show this kind of love to our campus? As we reach our happily ever after, we must remember that the aim in all this is not just romance, but changing the world. Your love story can be all about you. It can be all about our Prince Charming or our Cinderella, our happy ending, or we can live for something so much bigger than us. We can live for the kingdom of God and do things that have an eternal impact. We can be the main characters of our love stories if we want to. Or we can let Jesus be the main character. If you want a happily ever after that makes a difference, if you want to change the world and do something with your life, choose to let Jesus be the main character and play whatever part he gives you. If that's to be single, great. If that's to be married, great. Just play the part you're given, and that will bring fulfillment. We can choose to be obedient to him in all things, we can choose to love our campus like it's no one's business. I want to give us two opportunities to respond tonight. If you're here, and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been following Jesus. You've been trying to run life your own way. You've been trying to fix everything on your own, trying to figure it all out on your own. And you want to, for lack of a weird imagery, you want a strong husband to come and love you. And to come and say, be my bride. I will cover you. I will protect you. I will be for you. I will pay the penalty for your mistake. If you want to make that decision tonight and say, God, be my king. I'm going to ask you, if everyone will close your eyes, bow your heads. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a signal to God that you are all in, that you're going to pursue Jesus. One, two, three. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I just pray. I pray that you can be the protector, the creator, the savior, the king, the friend, Jesus, that you are. I thank you for our new friends in the kingdom of God. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Second way I'd like to give us a chance to respond is we're going to sing another song together. And as we sing this song, I want you to pray. You don't have to do anything outward, but I want you to pray for your future marriage, whether you have one, so pray for that, or pray that if God calls you a life of singleness, that you run that race well, right? A lot of pain has probably come up the last few weeks. We've talked about a lot of stuff the last month. You may have been feeling shame this past month. You may have been feeling hurt, pain, guilt, anger, and I want us to spend these next few moments as we worship together just worshiping that out, right? Giving it all to God. Lay anything that God has laid on your heart at his feet right now and say, Jesus, it's all yours. So let's worship together. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I thank you for everything you've done over this past month. God, I thank you for giving us an opportunity to have a beautiful, life-giving love story, Jesus. Thank you for being the main character of our, our love stories so we don't have to. We love you so much, Jesus.